Yes. Happy Father's Day. Amen. Happy Father's Day. We have the we have the best father, right? How wonderful the father's love for us. Is that you, Heather? Are you here? And these can't be your these can't be your kids. No, no, no. What's that? Yeah, they turn around and they grow up. Well, it's good to see you. We can catch up. Um, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we have some notes if you want to follow along. Uh, the book of Ephesians. I was contemplating doing a Father's Day sermon, but I think I'm going to slam you guys a little bit later. It's going to come anyway. So it's going to come anyway. So I want to just do it in order, right? Fathers. Why don't we pray? Father in heaven, uh, it's so good to call you Father. The relationship that we have with you because of the Son is not one of enmity, is not one of arguing, it's not one of um, antagonism. We are in your family. We cry out, Abba. In fact, the Son tells us to cry out, Abba. The Spirit tells us to cry out, Abba. We pray even for this time that you would help us to hear your word, help us to um, contemplate what it means, help us to uh, drink of its truth, help us to change our minds and our hearts and our life because of it. Thank you for this wonderful, warm Sunday morning. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, we're talking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And Paul, in very clear terms, outlines us for us what the filling of the Spirit is. It's not up for us to define it. It's not us for to create our own definitions. It's here and it's in black and white. He says here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 18 and 21, he goes, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. Even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. We know and uh, you know I've been doing this review every single time we come to a passage in Ephesians that God has given us all these eternal blessings. He has richly supplied us. He says in Ephesians that, um, that all spiritual blessings come from him, that our election from God the Father, that the blood was spilt from God the Son, that the sealing from God the Spirit has occurred. He says, now that this theology here, what you think of God ought to affect the way you change your life. Ought to affect the way you live your life. If in fact you are rich in God, you ought to live richly. Not like a pauper. Not like one who is, ha, has poverty spiritually. Poverty as if you were incomplete. The Bible says that you are complete. This theology shapes your life. This is true. The knowledge of the truth is Sets you free. And he, then he commands you because of what has God has done in your life. He commands us to walk. He says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. He tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. He tells us not to walk like the world. Our lives are not to be reflecting the world. We should be living radically different lives. If people were to look at your life and you weren't even to say a word, can they say there is something different about you? Or do you just kind of flow along like a dead fish in a river? They just kind of just go downstream, right? In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, it tells us to walk wisely. That because you know the truth, you won't be fooled. You, won't, you will be able to discern situations. You'll be able to understand and you'll be able to make right decisions based on God's truth. They should. Uh, and these are the ways we are to walk. And then afterwards, he's going to talk about our stressful relationships. He talks about it. Chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, 
And husbands, chapter 5, verse 25. And children, chapter 6, verse 1. And fathers, chapter 6, verse 4. So he gives us the theology that is based, the theology that we have such a rich blessing in Christ. And then he gives us the commands to live it out. But before he does that, he gives us the powerhouse from which we are to spring resources. See, when God gives you commands and the commands are on you, I wish I could say personally as I'm speaking to you today that I could just say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to pull up my bootstraps and I could just obey God. I'm just going to obey him. But sadly, the more and more you try to obey God, the more and more you try to be disciplined, and I've asked this question last time, you ever notice that the more and more you try to be disciplined and more godly in your life, if you just try and force it by your own flesh, the less and less disciplined you actually become. And what God has said is, you can't do this on your own. Although I've given you riches, although I've given you Christ, although I've given you the commandments, he says, now what you need is Christ mediated to you. You need his power to live this godly life. And he calls it filling with the Spirit, right? Here are the commands. You might ask, I can, how can I possibly do it? The Bible says you cannot. You cannot unless you have his provision. So this passage, we're going to take, our concentration is really going to be verses 19 to 21. We've already dealt with verse 18, just of being filled with the Spirit, that phrase part, okay? And what we saw in our first part, this is as a review, is to depend on God's provision. Brothers and sisters, you have to know this. Okay? You will keep hitting your head on the wall if you know what God has called you to do. And you are saved and you know Jesus Christ. And yet you continue to try and obey him in your own strength. You will keep hitting the wall and you will fail. God shows you this over and over and over. But the wonderful thing is, he is not just giving you motivation. He's not just giving you commands. He's giving you power from on high. And that is the Holy Spirit. So depend on God's provision. This is our review of verse, seven, uh, verse 18b. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? This is as review. To be filled with the Spirit means to be completely yielding to the Spirit's word. Depending on the Spirit's power and experiencing the Spirit's presence. Okay? Yielding to the Spirit's word. Don't expect to have the power of the Holy Spirit if you are not yielding to his truth. Don't expect to have power to obey him in the future if you are not obeying him now. If you know clearly what the word of God says and you don't uh, assent or believe or Align your life with that. He says it's also depending on the Spirit's power and experiencing the Spirit's presence. We said last week, how do you stay there? How do you stay there? We remember from its parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Colossians 3, 16, it says, let the word of Christ. If we were to look at this text, it says, do not get drunk with wine, but for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In Colossians, Paul, the same author, says it a different way, but he's meaning the same thing. He says in Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How do you get more of the Spirit? How do you get more of the Spirit? You get more of the Word. Sometimes there's some churches who might think, oh, we're singing and we're singing and it's great. Yes, the singing is fantastic. We ought to. But if we don't worship God with the word, you get less of the spirit, brothers and sisters. Why? Because the spirit desires that the truth be exalted, the truth about Christ, the truth about his scriptures. He is the author of truth. He is called the spirit of truth. So we get more of the word. We get more of the spirit. So, how do you live this spirit-filled life? Now the question is this, okay? And here is the whole point of the passage now. How will you exhibit a spirit-filled life? 
Last one was how will you do it, right? Now it's how will you exhibit it? And we know from the basis is I need supernatural strength. You know what's ha happening in politics right now? It's very easy to get sucked in into those Facebook, Twitter battles, isn't it? So easy. I just want to just give my two cents. I remember I just said one phrase. One guy was saying some theological thing and it was incorrect. I said one little phrase because, you know, Facebook is the perfect medium to correct theological inaccuracy and it always turns out right. Wrong. <laughs> one little phrase, right, and boom, it blew up, right? It blew up, right? How did I get there? Let's go back to the text. It says here. Now, how are you to uh, obey God? How do, you do, how do you do God's will? That's our second point, right? We are going to do God's will by the power of the Spirit, by being filled with His Spirit. And what's amazing is, now the Spirit is going to tell you there are four supernatural traits. Four supernatural traits that God will change in your life. That God will give you power in your life to do. These aren't even miraculous. These aren't even healings. These aren't even, I'm not even touching people and healing them from leprosy. He's telling us there are four supernatural traits. If you are filled with the Spirit, you will exhibit these. And you notice he says there, the first one, we're going to take a look in verse 18a is, you have the power, you have the power to keep a sober mind. You have the power to keep a sober mind. The Bible says do not get drunk with wine. And probably Paul was addressing the mystery religions. What they used to do is they used to get drunk. And they would have orgies. And that's how they would worship their gods. Okay? And it's very, very similar to uh, like Rastafarianism. Where they, in order for them to see God, they'll smoke marijuana. Or... Um, the Chichimeca tribe who would smoke peyote, right? They would smoke peyote so they could see God. It's an altered state of consciousness caused by controlled substances, right? And Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. The word there for drunk simply means intoxicated. And you know what? If you look at any sitcom, if you look at any cartoon, even the cartoons back in the day, it, used, it was a joke to be drunk. We think it's funny to be drunk. When I'm around, I'm around a, a lot of, uh, uh, what should I say? A lot of service guys, military guys, a lot, a, a lot of times. And they're always joking how drunk they were. Oh, I was so drunk, I couldn't even do this. Well, I was so drunk, I couldn't even do this. You know, God, in his eyes, calls that damnable. It's not a joke. To be out of control. It's not a joke at all. In fact, it's sinful and it's condemned. To be drunk, uh, it's condemned in Genesis chapter 9. You remember Noah was drunk and it caused his sons to sin. Do you remember Lot in Genesis chapter 19? It impairs right decision making. Most other sins, horrible sins come when you are impaired by a controlled substance, right? Lot himself in Genesis 19 was drunk and he committed incest with his own daughters. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 20, it says, Do not be heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty. Over and over, God condemns, condemns drunkenness. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 13, verse 13, the Bible says, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. God calls us not to be controlled by any substance and anything for that matter. Galatians 5.19 says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. And then he says in Galatians 5, 
drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. I forewarn you, as I forewarn you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. God doesn't call it a disease. God calls it evil. God calls it wickedness. And even if you have a temperament to fall for alcohol more than someone else, it's still wickedness. I have temperaments for other sins, right? That still doesn't excuse it. It's still wickedness. First Peter chapter 4 says, For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. All this to say, we are not to be controlled. In fact, the elder is to be disqualified. The overseer must not be must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to much wine. Now, how do we apply this? Okay. How do we apply this? He says, be filled with the Spirit. Rather, let the influence of the Spirit, let His mind be your mind. Let His heart be your heart. How do you know that? It's in the Scriptures. Okay. That's how you know. Don't let anything else influence you that could impair your judgment. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, this is a, a very, very slippery slope. Now, let me talk about, I'm going to talk about how to apply that. It does not say, do not drink ever. Got it. It does not say, do not drink ever. It says what? Do not get drunk. Many pastors want it, want it to say, do not drink ever, right? But I think you're going past what the scripture is teaching. The scripture doesn't teach that. The scripture says, do not get drunk. In, in fact, what it's saying is, you cannot be controlled by anything else but the Holy Spirit. We saw that the imperative is what? To be filled, to be controlled by him, by his mind, his heart. So to say that the scripture forbids drinking at all times is not true. To say scripture allows drunkenness is not true as well. See, uh, wine is discussed in the scriptures. Okay? The reason why I'm taking a little bit of time in this is because this is, so, this is so misunderstood a lot of times. Sometimes you go to a church and they say it's a sin to drink wine. It's a sin to have alcohol. That is not technically correct. Technically, the Bible says, do not get drunk, right? In Song of Solomon, when Solomon and his Shulamite princess get married, they drink wine, and it is a pleasurable thing. Isaiah talks about wine, not Isaiah there, but Isaiah the prophet, okay? Isaiah the prophet talks about wine as being a time of happiness, Proverbs chapter 31 actually says to give strong drink to those who are perishing. And I would liken that to if someone is dying, you would probably give them, um, uh, what is the term? Uh, Painkillers if they're dying. Morphine, yeah. And that would be fine. Paul says to, first Tim uh, in, to Timothy, medicinally, he says, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Jesus said, are you listening? Right? Right? Take this cup. Whenever you take it, do this in what? Remembrance of me. It is not, it wasn't Welch's, I'll tell you that. It wasn't Costco grape juice. It was wine. Okay? So it's incorrect to say it's a sin to drink. Right? Now, whether it was the same as wine today or the same alcoholic content, I see a lot of biblical scholars, they argue, well, it's not the same. They would consider it barbaric, what we drink uh, compared to that. I don't really think that's the issue. I think what the issue is, do not get drunk with wine. The issue is do not be influenced by wine. Don't let it control you, Right? Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit moves in someone, the fruit of the Spirit is, uh, has many dimensions, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. What is the next one? Self-control. 
And so when you are drunk, or when you, when you take controlled substances, the Bible says, you lack self-control. You can't make the right decisions. You will make bad ones. Okay. It says here, for that is dissipation. By definition, dissipation means wastefulness, debauchery. It means an act of abandoning, abandoning himself to reckless and immoral behavior. Okay. The Bible says not to let your flesh get a foothold. It will bring shame to Christ. The time you spent, the testimony you have will bring shame to Christ. I've I seen this. I've seen this. Um, I, had a real, I have a really good friend. Uh, he's a brother in the Lord. And he and his wife, when I was in college, encouraged me. They're, they exhibited hosp hospitality to me. And as I went my way after graduation, they went their way. He went to Bible college. He became a pastor in Southern California. I won't tell you where, right? Of a huge church. I mean, massive church. Very well known. And he's a really, really good friend of mine. right? But. He was not careful with this. He played the line a little bit too close, you know. Well, how close can I get before I fall over? So he was somewhere. He was there with his son, and he was driving his motorcycle, and he uh, drank a few too many beers. Now, is it a sin to drink beer? No. Is it a sin to be drunk? Oh, absolutely. Okay, and there's a distinction. He drank too many beers. And he and his son were driving. And he lost control. Right? And uh, the motorcycle went off road and hit the sign. But he didn't hit the sign. I think it just scarred on the head. His son went flying. Right? And praise the Lord, his son survived. But this very well-known, well-beloved pastor, because he was not careful, because he was not in the spirit, because he allowed something else to control him, lost everything. He's no longer in the ministry. He's no longer. And they put it, of course, when this happens, especially to a pastor, they put it right in the newspaper. And the testimony for Christ all was wasted. And he fights with depression now. And I understand. And I pray that Christ would heal him. But in that little, it was, it was just a beer. Just a beer. Just a little beer. Okay. And I'm not talking about the pain of having a DUI. Yeah, that's a hassle. Or the hospital bills. Or the potentiality of killing someone. Or you, you dying. Those are horrible consequences, yes. But the most horrible consequence is you bring shame to Christ. Remember? Whom have I in heaven but thee? And then you say, I have sinned against you and you only. You sin against Christ and what Christ says is when you are filled with the spirit when you are filled with his word when you are yielded to him he says you will have power to have a sober mind you won't allow those things to control you nothing will control you rather only Christ so being filled with his spirit gives you the power to have a sober mind being filled with the spirit also grants power to have a praising heart. It also gives you power to have a praising heart. And you notice he says here in verse um, 19. And he switches over. As you're filled, you will have a sober mind. But as you are filled, you're going to now have a praising heart. And he uses these terms, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. And spiritual song, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. We don't believe that's, that singing is simply just warm up for the sermon. Do you understand? Right? 
we actually believe we are singing to God. And what occurs is when the Christians are filled with the word of God, they are filled with what God has done for them. They are filled with the love that has been bestowed on them. They are filled with what Christ has done on the cross for them. They are filled with the goodness and the kindness that he is still giving them now. And they can't help but sing. The mark of a spirit-filled Christian is someone who sings. It doesn't say someone who sings well. You got it. It doesn't say that you have a great voice. It says someone who sings because of what God has done for them. There is a supernatural change in the person's life. In Psalm uh, chapter 30 in verse 4, um, the psalmist writes, Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. In Psalm 33, it says, Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. In Psalm 96, it says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Well, let's talk about this singing. It's not any kind of singing. Okay? It's not the kind of singing you'll just turn on the radio and you'll hear. Hey, Manny, can you turn on the air conditioner? I'm getting hot. This San Diego heat, man. You're getting cold. I'm getting hot. Right? Now, this distinct singing, and I remember when I got saved, I had a song in my mouth. I wanted to sing those songs that I thought were corny now, you know? I thought were corny before, now they were sweet to me, right? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. The hymns had more meaning to me now. The praise songs had meaning to me. I wanted to sing to them. Why? Because now God has saved me and the Spirit has instructed me by His Word, by illumination, what it means. And I can't help but cry out. If you're a Christian, if you profess to know Christ and you don't have a song in your mouth, there is something wrong. God says He does this, okay? This is what He says. Now this kind of... This kind of singing, this kind of praising is unique. It's unique in the sense that first, it is doctrinal. Notice he says here, speaking to one another. Speaking to one another. This is why even in the way we design our worship services, when we're together, we want to be able to hear each other's voices. Why? Because we have to hear the truth that the other person is saying. When the truth is being proclaimed, we can sing it back to each other and the encouragement that we receive from it. But notice that this speaking, this singing is doctrinal. Go to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to go to this parallel verse. In Ephesians it says speaking. In Colossians it says, some, it gives us a fuller meaning. Colossians chapter 3. In verse 16, notice he says here in verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Then it says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Notice he says here, when the word of Christ, Christ dwells within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, here's the, here is the, here's the astonishing thing. He's saying that in Ephesians that it's speaking. Here, he's saying that music, Christian music, and this is how we ought to pick our Christian music. This is how we are to pick the songs that we sing. This is how we are to pick the worship songs, even in Bible study, even when we're teaching the kids, okay? That they ought to have this element of speaking. Or in Colossians, they ought to have this element of teaching and admonishing. In other words, the type of music that we pick ought to be on par with our preaching. If there are many songs I've seen, uh, there are many songs where I, I, we've, we've been singing for years and I go, you know, this is a bad song. Or this is a terrible song. It doesn't really show the love of Christ. 
or it doesn't really show his glory or his honor. It doesn't really teach anything. We call them, uh, I call them you know, kind of the K-Love, I'm, I'm offending people, but it's kind of the K-Love, Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs. Have you heard those? I say Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs where it's, I love you, I love you, you love me, I love you. It, you could just substitute your boyfriend there for Jesus. It has no meaning, right? It has no, it has no uh, level where it is teaching and admonishing. It's not on par with what preaching is. Notice he says here in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So all of our psalms, all of our hymns, all of our spiritual songs ought to be teaching. Ought to be admonishing. Well, what is that? Where is this phrase seen? This is why you have to be careful with the songs that you pick. Just because I remember I was, I was, I was talking to Ty on the way here. And uh, we were driving. And I said, can you believe K-Love? They played, they played the fray, How to Save a Life. I don't know if you guys know that song. On Caleb. Has nothing to do with Christ. It just seems nice. So let's play it on Caleb. I said, why in the world? We got to be discerning. Right? God calls us to have a standard of the songs that we sing. And notice he uses this phrase in Colossians 1. Turn the chapter in Colossians chapter 1. Verses 28 and 29. See, when someone is filled with the Spirit of God, he will sing songs that have wisdom, that teach and admonish, right? He will pick the right songs. He will sing the right doctrinal songs for his glory. And notice, this is where the phrase, this is how high Paul sees singing of praises. This is why you ought to be involved. If your heart and your voice and your body is not connected when we are singing and praising, there is something wrong with you. Not with him. Your mind and your heart is not connected to God's word. Christ is still magnificent. Christ is still wonderful. There's something wrong with you. If singing praises to Christ is boring, there's something wrong with you. You may not even know him. Now notice he says here, this is what it says in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He says, we proclaim him. Okay, Paul, I get it. You're preaching Christ. Now what does he say? Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Here's interesting. Paul says this, what? He says, we proclaim him that the subject, the center, the focus of the preaching and the proclaiming is Jesus Christ himself. And he says, what does that proclaiming look like? Admonishing. Well, what's admonishing? Admonishing means to warn. Admonishing means to instruct. Admonishing means to place in mind. It helps you when you are not thinking, when you're not believing right. So God, Paul is now saying that when we sing, even when we sing, it's not a light matter. When we sing, it ought to correct the way we think. And notice he says this also, teaching every man with all wisdom. So when you sing, it ought to correct you and it ought to instruct you. Because when we, we, when we are, that's how you know what a, a spirit-filled song is. If you want to know if it's a spirit-filled song, is it a word-filled song? Does it exclaim the glories of Christ? If it isn't, I'm throwing it out. We're not singing that song, right? Sometimes these Christian artists, they're so full of themselves and they're not full of Christ. I did this for you, Jesus. I did this for you, Jesus. I did this for you, Jesus. It's not filled with Christ. We're not singing it. It's not proclaiming. It's not instructing. It's not admonishing. It's, it's glorifying man and him. But notice he says, teaching and admonishing everyone with wisdom. So that, he says, we may present every man complete in Christ. And what Paul is saying is, when we preach and when we teach, everyone becomes complete. They mature. And that's why he works hard in preaching and teaching. But going back to singing, okay? Going back to singing. So 
when we sing, okay, spirit-filled singing is doctrinal. It has to be. This is how Paul says it. This is how he defines it. It centers on Christ. It glorifies his name. It brings him honor. And then, not only is it doctrinal, it's musical. It's musical. Notice he says here, back in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, he says, In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, there are three categories, okay? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Bible doesn't say to worship him in one, one form of genre. He says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we'll talk about this. He says psalms. All the word psalm means is a song sung with an instrument. Okay? It is a poem sung with an instrument. And we have the book of psalms. That's what they were. In Psalm 33, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. That is an instrument. Sing praises to him with a harp. Psalm 84, my soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. So a psalm, we can take it from the scriptures, okay? It is a song sung with an instrument taken from the psalms. Uh, um, one modern psalm, you would say, is a mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. When you sing that song, okay? It has its roots where? What psalm? Does anyone know? It's in Psalm 46. He is our fortress, our defense. And what Martin Luther did is when he set it to music, he is now singing in modern uh, tonality, in modern harmony, what? The psalms themselves. How about this one? Only in God is my soul at rest, for he is my salvation. You know that song? And then we sing, my stronghold, my savior. That is a psalm taken from Psalm 62. He is my rock, my salvation, my stronghold. As the deer. Okay. As the deer panteth for the water. That's from Psalm 42. We sing these songs. Right. Why? Because they meet the qualifications. They teach, they admonish, and they're, they're from the book of Psalms. Well, what's a hymn? What's a hymn? The word hymn is a word uh, from the Greek word hymnos. It was a song used to describe the greatness and the majesty of the king. So when the Caesars and the emperors would destroy their, uh, destroy their enemies, they used to bring the enemy's king and bring them through the city, and they would take them in the ground while everyone was watching, and they would stick their foot on their neck to show their triumph. And when this was happening, they would have hymn writers. And the hymn writers would talk about how great the Caesar is, how awesome the Caesar is, the emperor is. And now Paul lifts it from the pagan context, and he says, the praise and the honor and the glory that is given to the emperors, he lifts it and he says, no, you take this and you sing to God about his greatness and his honor. So what a hymn does not mean, okay, a hymn does not mean an old song in an old book. Okay, this is what folks always say, okay. Folks will say this, well, I want to go to a church that sings hymns. Well, what do you mean? Well, you know, the songs that are in that hymnal. I wonder what the first Christians sung. They didn't have that hymnal, right? So what does hymn mean? Oh, well, 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 well. See, then, see, for you to have that kind of a viewpoint is not biblical. Do you understand? What does a hymn mean? It means a song that is written to extol someone, to magnify someone, okay? Now, here are some hymns, and you'll, you'll get what I mean. Here's the genre, right? Crown him with many crowns. Crown him with many crowns, right? That is giving him glory, 
and honor and praise. How about this? Come thou almighty king. That's, that's another hymn. But even this modern, this modern one's a hymn. Come praise and glorify our God. That is a modern hymn as well. Okay? And so, uh, even as he's talking about hymns, he switches over to the third, the third category. Here's the third category. Spiritual songs. Okay? Spiritual songs. These are songs of Christian experience and testimony. I love all these songs. These are songs of Christians' experience and testimony. And here's one. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. It's not a hymn. It's not a psalm. What is it? It's declaring the experience of a Christian walking with Christ. Okay? How about this? Okay? How, my tribute, can I say thanks for the things you have done for me. That is a spiritual song. Things so undeserved. I am singing to God what you have personally done for me. Thank you, God. I can't hardly sing that song without tearing. Right. How about this? Jesus, I my cross have taken. Not talking about the greatness of God necessarily. It's not a psalm. But what it's talking about is the suffering of a saint gladly given for his Savior. Now, why do I go, why does God talk about the different genres? It's interesting. I think he talks about it because in the Christian experience, as we are filled with this truth, okay, that these different genres of music help to cover the vast variety of, of his goodness, of his majesty, of his kindness, of his love. And so, as a church, being a spirit-filled church as we desire to be, whenever we sing, we always try and have a mix. Do you understand? So this is where the application comes. We always try to mix psalms with hymns and spiritual songs. See, there's a method to the madness, actually. You are not allowed to determine how you are to worship. God determines how you are to worship. Okay? And so when we worship, we have psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs because it covers the full spectrum, the full color of the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, you ought to be bathed in Christian music, right? Bathed in it. Um, even when, uh, well, I'll just move on. Uh, Christian music should be doctrinal. Christian music should be, uh, Christian praise should be musical, and Christian music should be internal. It should be internal. Notice he says here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, he says, singing and making melody with your heart, with your heart to the Lord. Now, there's a lot of overlap here, but in, even in Psalms, it says that they're my heart is steadfast, I will sing praises. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Psalm 84. I will give thanks with my heart, I will sing praises to thee before thy before God, before the gods. And then he says here, and here I want to take you to John chapter 4, and this is where I get this. It has to be internal. It cannot simply be the lips. It cannot simply be a performance. When you sing to Christ, it has to involve all the immaterial parts of man in John chapter 4. And this is why you have to ask for it. Because, because at times you may dis be discouraged or at times you may be tired. You got to ask God, give me strength. Give me strength to praise you from within. Give me strength to praise you rightly. And he says here, Jesus himself tells you how to worship. He says in John chapter 4, verse 23, he says, But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
Catch what Jesus says. The reason why it has to be doctrinal first is because in order to worship Christ rightly, in order to worship him and give him honor, in order to give him his proper proper honor that is due him, you got to worship in truth. We understand that, okay? That is doctrinal. That's the teaching and admonishing. But he also says in spirit. And here, in your text, it probably should say small s, okay? A small s. Because it's not referring to the Holy Spirit. It's referring to you inside. He says spirit, meaning your mind, your heart, all that composes the immaterial you. In other words, what God is saying is, when you worship him, the only pleasing worship to him is one that is filled and driven and fueled by truth and also that is given from the heart from your mind, from the inside of who you are, as a response of his goodness. If you do not praise him from your heart, you dishonor Christ. And this is why it's impossible. It's impossible unless you're spirit-filled. Why? Because the heart and the flesh militates against. But when you're regenerate, the spirit indwells. And in Ephesians 5.18, when you are filled with his word, you want to sing and cry out. Oh, brothers and sisters, when we come together, I pray you would spend time in his word so that you could sing and cry out rightly. One of my prayers all the time is, God, help me to worship you rightly. Help me to be unhindered when I sing I don't want to be fettered from my sin. And if there's sin in your life, ask for forgiveness so you can sing outrightly. He is the only one who deserves this kind of worship. He is the only one who deserves praise. Yielding to his spirit grants you power to have a sober mind. It gives you a praising heart. And next, being filled with the Spirit gives you power to have a grateful attitude. To have a grateful attitude. Look at verse, going back to Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Notice, this seems tough. Notice he says there, always giving thanks for all things. Always giving thanks for all things. Wow. I got to confess to you that I'm not there all the time. But God says this is the mark of a spirit-filled believer. That now they're no longer ungrateful as a characteristic. Complaining as a characteristic. He says this, always giving thanks. One mark of an unbeliever is that they just don't give thanks. They just are not grateful, thankful people. They're just always complaining. Romans chapter 121 says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him God or give thanks. It's the mark of an unbeliever. He, if he doesn't believe in God, there's no one to thank. He's not grateful. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says, Society will become in such a way in the last days that for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. The mark of an unbeliever is being ungrateful. But see, this overlaps with song. In Psalm 57, verse 9, it says, I will give thanks to thee. We know that. Over and over, I will give thanks. And then it says, for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Brothers and sisters. I remember, I think I must, I shared this story with you when, I, when we were serving in India. Um, it was so hot. I was coming from the seminary. Jeanette asked me, hey, can you get the milk? Can you get some milk and eggs, right? 
And I'm like, I didn't have AC in the car and 90% humidity, right? And I wasn't walking in the spirit, okay? I was like, this is hot, I'm hot, I'm hot. You don't know how hot I am. And I'm just, just biting my tongue, right? Just hot. People are cutting me off. People cut me off. Then there's a cow. Then there's a pig. Just cut me off in the jungle, right? Then I, and you know, there's cows everywhere. They just live wherever they want, right? So I park, and I'm just mad, right? So, and I don't want my laptop stolen. So I have this big backpack I have to bring in. And so I go, open the door, step out, put my foot down, and it's right in a cow patty just made right there. And I'm wearing sandals, leather sandals, right? And I could go, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Well, not exactly there. But have you ever been there where you can be tempted to just complain and grumble? God says when you are filled with his spirit, when you are filled with his word, you can be thankful. And sitting there, yes, having to get go inside a grocery store now with my foot all covered, right? By God's grace, you can have, you can have power. I can show, I, I tell you times I fail because you want to know times when I fail. Because we do fail, right? But there are times, brothers and sisters, we have the spirit of God. You always have him if you, you, if you but yield to him. I remember one time I was getting cut off by so many people uh, in India, and I was just, you think L.A. drivers and San Diego drivers are bad. They're nothing, man. I laugh when people cut me off here. I laugh. <laughs> I laugh, right? But they're cut off, cut off, cut off. Motorcycles, they, tat, they touch you, actually, when they cut you off, right? They just push you, and then they just go around. And as I'm driving, and... I'm like, oh, so angry, and I'm hot, right? <laughs> and I remember my wife, praise the Lord for my wife. She just looked at me, she said, and this is why we're here, to bring the gospel. Isn't this why we're here, Angelo? And she is telling me scripture, right? Because That's what I was sent for, right? She told me scripture. And as I was thinking about it and dwelling on it, I said, God, forgive me. Forgive me. I am here for the gospel. Right? And then I have my right mind again. But brothers and sisters, there are some of you who are going through some very hard tri trials right now. I can't, I can't possibly know all of them. But some of you are going through some difficult times right now. And oftentimes, in, it's been my experience that God will not move until you're willing to say thank you for it. Until you say thank you. Thank you for this trial. And you can't do that in your strength. Even the world will say you're a fool for thanking God. Thank you. Thank you, God. A complaining spirit. Notice he says in 1 Thessalonians 5. I'll just read it to you. He says rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you. Even difficult things. It's the will of God for you. And then in verse 19 he says do not quench the spirit. Complaining quenches the spirit. Why? It shows that you're no longer satisfied in God. That he's no longer enough for you. Christ is no longer sufficient for you. But rather your soul is based. Your soul's happiness is based on the acquisition of lesser things. Rather than on Christ. But in Christ you can be spirit filled and have a thankful attitude. So being spirit filled gives a mind. A praising heart. A grateful attitude. And lastly a submissive will. A submissive will. Notice in verse 21 he says. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject means to put yourself under. Okay.
It, it implies listening. It implies uh, bearing instruction. And it implies authoritative structure. And what he's going to talk about in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and, and 6, he's going to talk about wives be subject to your husbands. Verse 22. He's going to be talk about uh, husbands. In verse 25, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. Then he's going to talk about children. Obey your parents. Chapter 6 verse 1. He's going to talk about fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger. He's going to talk about slaves, which is employees. Be obedient to those who are your masters. He's going to talk about masters. And so now he's going to set up. He is starting now. What Paul says, in order for you to function even in your own relationships that are the toughest. He talks about the toughest relationships you'll ever have. Husband and wife. Parents and children, co-worker, workers, and bosses. Okay? And he says, in order for you to even function in the roles that you have to do, you need to be filled with the Spirit. You can't be a mom and not be filled with the Spirit. You ever try that? Just get up and just fry eggs. You're already mad before you flip the first one. You can't, be, you can't be dad before, without being spirit-filled. You come home from work, you're mad at your boss, and so you take it out on your kids. You can't be, you can't be, um, you can't be a spirit-filled Christian and complain about your boss on the job. It was telling me everyone complains about his bosses. And, he, and God has given him strength not to, not to get in it even though his boss probably deserves it right how do you stop yourself from getting in that how do you obey and how do you work for a master who is disagreeable who is unreasonable you need to be spirit-filled brothers and sisters you need the spirit of god to be dad to be husband to be wife to be a worker to be a boss, to serve in the church. You need the Spirit of God. You can't do it. So you need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, God's normal means for you to exhibit the filling of the Spirit are thus outlined in Scripture. Here it is. In other words, how do you know you're filled with Spirit? His normal means, it doesn't say. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say visions. It doesn't say speaking in tongues. It doesn't say prophecy. The exhibition of being filled with the Spirit is what? What does it say? A sober mind, a praising heart, a grateful attitude, and a submissive will. It, shows, it talks about the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things in which there is no law. And this is exactly what Ezekiel promised, what he prophesied in, verse, in chapter 36. When he says he will remove the heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. And then in verse 27, let me follow there with me. Go to Ezekiel 36 and we'll end here. Okay? This is why it's so important to be filled with the Spirit because you can't obey God without him. Ezekiel chapter 36. Okay? And this is the new covenant. This was promised in the Old Testament. If you can't find Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joan. Okay, Ezekiel. Chapter 36. And this is what he talks about in the rebirth. This is regeneration. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. He says here, moreover, Ezekiel 36. And this is where we'll end. Moreover, this is God's promise. He says this. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone because you have no desire to serve God. No desire to love him. He says, I will remove that stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And then he says, verse 27. After I regenerate you. After I give you a new birth. After I give you a new heart. This is the new capacity you will have. Because of the Spirit, he says, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you 
to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. So what is the predominant function of the Spirit in the Christian's life? What is it? What is it here? He says he will put his spirit in you and now you will walk in his ways. You will finally obey him. You could finally walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. You could have a thankful heart. You could have a praising heart. You could have a sober mind. You could have a heart that is submissive, a will that is submissive to him. You can do this by the power of Christ in the spirit. Amen? We don't have to live failed lives. Oh, I don't ever, I can't obey. You have the spirit of Christ in you, Christian. Get up! You have the spirit of Christ. He is all you need. Father, thank you for, thank you for the power that is in Christ. Thank you for the spirit. Thank you you have not left us alone. Thank you that you've given us your word. Lord, we pray that we would walk with you. We pray that we would walk in step with your spirit by walking in your word daily. Oh God, may we, may we not get up until we are empowered by you. May we, may we refuse to live weak, fleshy lives. May we refuse to live lives with no spiritual power, lives with no influence, lives that, doesn't make, that don't make any difference in the kingdom of God. We want powerful lives. We want lives that matter because we're walking with you. We want lives that are filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. We want all of that, God. And you've given, us in your, given it to us in your Son. Fill us with your Spirit this morning. Fill us with your Spirit, God, we pray. Help us to sing in Jesus' name. Amen.